theyeshiva.net. My dear friends, I want to thank Nishmaisenu. I want to thank Hamaspik. I want to thank everybody involved for giving me this privilege and inviting me to address you this evening. As I said, after I speak, we'll do questions and answers. I want to address briefly a few topics connected with parents who are raising uh, children with special, special needs. The first thing, I'm going to, I want to cover a lot of ground, so I'm going to, you know, I could start off with stories and with jokes and with anecdotes, but uh, we don't have a lot of time. I'm speaking only for half an hour. So uh, I'm just going to try to get straight to the point, and then we could cover more during the questions and the answers. So point number one. It's extremely important when somebody has a child with special needs or children with special needs, it's extremely important to respect your reality, to respect your matzav, to respect your situation. What do I mean by this? Sometimes when people have a challenge, the nature of a person is to minimize it. Say, yeah, I'm like everybody else. It's just, you know, this is a little harder. We'll get over it. We'll go, th- we'll go through it. We'll get through it. I have help. We minimize it. It's a very normal human coping mechanism, right? Somebody's not feeling well. What's the natural? I'll get over it. I'll be in bed for a few days. I have the flu, I have the virus, I have a headache. Okay, I'll take some Tylenol, take some aspirin, take some ibuprofen, take some, take some Motrin, get a good night's sleep, I'll get over it, I have a sore throat. Now, sometimes that's true, Baruch Hashem. Sometimes you just need a good night's sleep, sometimes you just need a Tylenol, sometimes you need to take a shower, and sometimes you need a massage, and sometimes you can abyssle. MS. But sometimes it's not that way. And if it's not that way, when we minimize it, we're not doing the right thing for a few reasons. First of all, because then we're not giving it the attention that it needs. So we're not really addressing what has to be addressed. If somebody doesn't just have a cold, if somebody has a serious illness, they have to give it time, they have to give it attention. And if I just minimize it, I won't do that. Number two, the mental space that needs to go into this is going to be going into something else. And that's going to create even a bigger distraction. Number three, ultimately, I'm going to become so squandered and I'm going to become so wasted and so depleted because something that's really very big in my life, I'm making believe it's something very small in my life and it's overwhelming, but I can't acknowledge that it's overwhelming. So now I'm overwhelmed even more because I'm overwhelmed by the fact that I'm overwhelmed because I'm not supposed to be overwhelmed because it's not overwhelming because I'm busy telling myself that it's not overwhelming. I hope you get my point here. When somebody is raising a child with special needs, it is a serious reality. It's a situation. It's a matzav. Just for a person to say, eh, we're like every other family. No, you're not. And why is this so important? That you should realize that you can do everything that other people might do. Different people have different challenges. Different people have to respect their challenges based on what they're going through. And this is my first 
suggestion to all of you, my dearest brothers and sisters, dearest friends. The most important, the first important thing is you must respect what you're going through. You have to respect your reality. That means, in terms of time, you may not have the time that other people may have. You may not be able to have that time. You would love to, but you can't. You may not be able to go to every event that you would like to go, to every simcha that you would like to go, to every nach vachnach, to every bar mitzvah, every bris, or stay at the chasana until the end of the mitzvah dance. You may not be able to. And if you're not going to respect that about yourself, nobody else is going to respect it. And you know what? You're not going to please everybody always. But you have to know what is important for you. And you have to give yourself the mental space and the time and the energy that you need to take care of your children. This is so important because sometimes mothers want to do everything. And fathers want to be everywhere and do everything. But you know what? You may have to be able to tell your aunt or your uncle or your grandmother or your grandfather or your parents or your brother or your sister or your best friend. Say, I'm going to be able to come for a half an hour, but then I'm going to have to go home. Because my daughter needs me. My son needs me. My other kids need me. I would love to stay till four in the morning, but I can't. Not I love you and I cherish you. But... I'm responsible for these children. It's so important to be able to protect your boundaries, to respect your boundaries, and not to say and feel guilty, why can't I be a better aunt? Why can't I be a better sister? Why can't I be a better brother? I could stay at the mitzvah town till four in the morning. No, you can't. You have a child who is very, very difficult, and that child needs that help. And if you're not going to have kayak tomorrow, no, this house will not function. These kids will suffer. In the name of your kindness, you don't want your kids to suffer. So therefore you have to know, vas ye, vas nish. whatever you could do, great. But there's certain things you have to protect yourself. You have to protect your boundaries. You have to embrace the reality that you're dealing with and not deny it. Not deny it. And not make it into a small thing. And not feel guilty that you're not making it into a small thing. Do not feel guilty. You are doing, you are serving Hashem, you are doing vital work. You are giving a child life. You are giving a child love. You are giving a child a future. You are you are here for your family. You're making sure that your family is growing up to be based Hashem healthy, normal, balanced, emotionally connected. Don't feel guilty for that. The fact that you can't be Yitzhak for the Gansavelt, you can't. Nobody can be Yitzhak for the Gansavelt. And you know what? Some people may give you comments, which brings me to my second point. Sometimes people make comments that are hurtful. They may mean well, and I'm going to encourage you. You have to know who to take seriously and who not to take seriously. Sometimes people do not understand what you're going through. Sometimes people are really, really clueless. <laughs> what should I? Do? What should we do? That's how it is. Some of them mean very well, by the way. Have we done as kaladim lakavshus? They just, they're just clueless. And I don't want every comment that you hear, you should internalize and then chew it over and regurgitate it and get get upset and get into a bad mood. Sometimes you just have to let it fall away. So Chazal say that when Moshe came to get the Torah, the malachim were shaking and trembling and swaying. They were very upset. So what's yidoidun twice? So somebody once said, is The angels were screaming and hollering and trembling. 
So somebody came to Hashem and said, oh, look what's happening. So they said, Nothing will happen. Okay. So somebody doesn't like when you left the chasm. Okay, you died. Somebody doesn't like that you had to leave, that they couldn't come for the Sheva Brachas. You couldn't go away for Shabbos. Yeah, you couldn't go away for Shabbos. You would have loved to go away. You couldn't. If it's somebody who respects you and you respect them, explain it to them. And if it's somebody who can't hear you out, you know, that's fine. Not everybody can understand. But the main thing is you shouldn't feel guilty. We always try to be nice and kind and considerate and sensitive and explain things. But if somebody is not open to what you're going through, okay, they're on their own journey. You know, hopefully, hopefully they'll also mature and grow up. This is so important. Which brings me to another point. And this point is asking help. You know, some people do not ask for help. I don't have to ask help. But it's the same point. You need help. You're allowed to ask for help. Now, there are people who come over to you and say, let me know when you need help. <laughs> let me know if you need anything, right? We know what that means, yeah? <laughs> Thank you. What do I need? I need every day. I need a lot of things. But then there's other people who say, you know what? I'm going shopping now. I'm buying you everything you need for Shabbos. Don't say no. Say yes. Somebody says, I'm cooking now for Shabbos. I'm doing the fish for you. I'm making the chicken for you. Don't say no. Say yes. I don't mean if the fish is horrible and they don't know how to cook to save their lives. I mean if they make good fish. Somebody says, I'm going now to, I'm going now to buy something. Can I get you? Do you need any help? Yes. I want to help you. I want to, can I come to your house? Yes, you could come to my house. Let me go out with my husband. Let me go out with my wife. Can you babysit for two hours? Accept help. You say, no, but I don't want to make myself needy. It's not calling making yourself needy. We all need help. The only people that don't need help are the people I don't know. And if somebody offers you help, take the help. You could need the help. You know why? What are you doing with that help? You're not going to waste your time. That help that they're going to give you is going to allow you to spend an hour with your spouse and consolidate your marriage, which is going to make it better for yourselves and for your home and for your children. It's a chesed for you to get help. If you get help, you'll be able to go to get a massage. You'll be able to go to the gym. You'll be able to take a walk. You'll be able to go somewhere that's nice and geschmack. And you know what's going to happen? You'll come back happier. You'll come back more balanced. You'll come back more centered. When you say, I'm not taking help, your children are going to pay the price because you're going to be more stressed. So I say, take the help. Take the help. And if somebody close to you, ask them for help. You know what? They could say no. Don't worry. They could say, I wish today I can't. I'll do it tomorrow. That's fine. Which brings me to another point. And this has to do with the marriage. Shalom bias. I can't stress this enough. When there is a parent, when there are parents who have a special child, they cannot solve all the problems. We cannot solve all the problems. We wish we could. We can't. But one thing, when a curveball is thrown at you in life, when the marriage is solid... You can deal with it in a much more effective way. Because when a husband and a wife are on one team, they create a chayma. They create a fortress. And it allows the curveballs to come and bounce off and not penetrate the house, the home. If a husband and a wife are experiencing discord, contention, negativity, then when there's a crisis in the family, 
it becomes much worse. Because as the curveball starts penetrating the house, it wreaks havoc and there's chaos. And the children respond to it. So I want to encourage all and everyone, every one of you, every one of us, you know, life is challenging. It's so important to work on your marriages. Because when a husband and a wife are together, it's like the sun shining. You know, when the sun comes out in the morning and it shines, and you look out the window, you go outside, and you feel the warmth, and you feel the light, and you feel the brightness, and you get your vitamin D, and you feel the nutrients that your body gets from the sunshine. Everything changes. A good marriage, a good relationship is like sunshine. It just gives a special delight in a difficult situation. So you may not be able to change what's happening with this child or what's happening with these children. But the fact that you're together, that you have each other's support, allows both of you to contain it in a more dignified way and to create a home that is still happy and fun and enjoyable. Now, this doesn't mean that a husband and a wife will agree about everything. You don't have to agree about everything. The Bayan Rebbe once said about Klal Yisrael, you know, it says, What's gam yochad? It should say, It's good and sweet when brothers sit together. What's sheves achim gam yochad? Also together. So one explanation I once heard is, sheves achim gam yochad. So I think from the Bayan Rebbe, Yachad is yesh chiluke deis. Yachad. Even if there's chiluk ideas, there's different mindsets, but never pirud levavus. You can have different perspectives, but not separate hearts. I could disagree with you, you can disagree with me. We could think about things in different ways. We may have different solutions to different problems. That's fine. But make sure that your hearts don't drift away from each other. Chiluk ideas, but not pirud levavus. If this is true about brothers and sisters, how much more so how much more so is it true about husbands and wives? It's so important that a wife should feel that her husband has her back. You want to feel that your husband, you want your wife to feel, I'm talking to the husbands, that you have her back a thousand percent. And that you're here for her a thousand percent. And that you're supporting her a thousand percent. And women, you want your husbands to feel that you have their backs a thousand percent. And you support them a thousand percent. And it doesn't mean you can't disagree. You're allowed to disagree. And you're allowed to disagree in front of children also. I'm not talking about a very big fight, an earthquake in the house. But nothing wrong with children see how parents can learn to can disagree because this teaches them in life that they're also allowed to disagree. And you disagree with respect and you disagree in a way that I don't feel that the fact that you're disagreeing with me means that you don't like me, that you don't trust me. That's the difference. There's no issue with disagreements. The problem is when the disagreements creates a, 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 a rupture in the relationship. When I have to stonewall you or I just pick up my hands and I just give up on the conversation and we just drift away and we implode or we exp- explode, we run you know, fight or flight or freeze, we can disagree, but make sure that everybody feels that the relationship is intact. <laughs> uh, in, in, in camp, the camp that I went, they would have color war. <laughs> so when they would, before they announced the winners for color war, there was this uh, strange 
uh, the strange, uh, I don't know what it's called, not a song, some lullaby, they would scream, whether you lose or win, the judges go in. And that meant whether your team lost color war or your team won color war, the judges had to be thrown into the pool or to the lake with their clothes. This was the Halakim Messiah. Whether you lose or you win, the judges go in. So I'm going to take this song and apply it to you. And I'm going to say it like this. Whether you lose the argument or you win the argument, the relationship has to remain intact. <laughs> whether you lose or you win, you both have to be together. In other words, it's almost irrelevant. He wins the argument, you win the argument. The truth is, you can't. if I win and you lose, I also lost. And if you win and I lost, you also lost. Because if you're married to each other, if one person wins and the other person loses, you both lost, trust me. But it doesn't matter. Whatever you guys decide to do, you'll decide to do and make sure your relationship is intact because that's what's going to hold the marriage. And that's what's going to hold the home. And when you have a difficult child, you must have that. It's so, so important. And that means you have to spend time with each other. And that's why I said before, get the help you need so you could spend time with each other. A half an hour a day. Take a walk, 45 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, at least four times a week, three times a week. Put away the phones. But you need to be able to connect in a cheerful, geschmacke, delightful way, not just connect for technical reasons to talk about what we do about Pesach or Shavuos or Sukkot or Yanki or Dvoidala or Chayala or Davidul or Matul or Sadala. But just to talk, you know, just to fabreng together, just to have fun with each other. Because it's that connectivity that, ease, that eases up the relationship, that, that creates an easier atmosphere. And the ability to deal with things in a much more serene and tranquil and healthy way. This brings me to another point, And that is, it's important to take care of yourselves. Parents need energy. You have to get enough sleep and you have to eat the right food. And if you need to exercise, exercise. And if you need a journal, journal. And if you need to dance, dance. And if you need to take care of your goof, take care of your goof and take care of your neshama and take care of your mind. This person needs Pilates and this person needs meditation and this person needs massages. This person needs yoga. This person needs somatic work and this person needs, needs to spend time lahavdal davening, learning. Take care of your neshamas. Take care of your gufam. Don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. Because when you neglect it, ultimately what happens is, it's not that you suffer, it's the children who also suffer. They need a healthy mother. They need a healthy father. That is a priority. You have to prioritize your life. Which brings me to a general comment, and that is when you're dealing with such a situation, you have to prioritize your life. You have to know what works and what doesn't work. You have to know what time you need to wake up. Maybe you have to wake up earlier before the kids so you have time. You need to know where you could go, where you cannot go. You really have to be able to be the balabas of your life, have self-control, and not live by other people's expectations, as I said in the beginning of the class. Which This brings me to another point, and that has to do with creating a fun atmosphere in the home. When there is a special child in the house, it, affect, it affects everybody. We know that. That's why there were people, and there are people who chose to give the child away. Because they said it affects the father and the mother and all the other kids. Now today, in the olden days, a lot of people used to do that. You probably know that. Today, so many don't, and it's incredible. It's incredible. I have a sister, Chani. She lives in the city, in New York. And she has her youngest, Brachala, as a child with special needs with Down syndrome. And one of the most amazing things, I always came to my sister's house when I came to visit her. 
So she always made sure that the house should be a fun place. Should be a geshmaka place. Because Baruch Hashem, she has other kids. She doesn't want other kids growing up in a house where you feel that it's such a heavy burden and this is a miserable place. We're not allowed to do that to the other children. And also to that special child. They're so sensitive. They feel everything. So you want as much as possible, even though there are challenges and there are difficulties, you want that the vibe, what do they call it? The vibe in the house should be a lebedika vibe, a geshmaka vibe. And whatever that means in your house. Be original, be creative, think out of the box. Especially days like Shabbos and Erev Shabbos and Yom Tif and Erev Yom Tif. It should be a place that the kids like, that the kids like coming, like bringing their friends, like bringing their cousins. It should be a place where there's just a good energy, a good atmosphere. And we parents have to work on that. First of all, we have to be in a good place, in a happy place. You want a Shabbos table to be exciting and enthusiastic and loving and bonding. And that means maybe buy special nash, buy special ice cream, prepare special riddles, prepare special jokes for the Shabbos table, prepare special stories, spend time, sing together, dance together, argue together, schmooze together, have great food together, play games together, but together. Together. And not just Shabbos and Yom Tov, the whole week. And I know it's easier said than done. Everybody is busy and everybody is stressful. And this child needs therapy and the other child needs therapy and the therapist canceled and this one is going crazy and she wants to be on the screen and he wants to be on the screen and he didn't do his homework and they got into a fight and this one didn't have a shower in four days and the cleaning lady didn't show up and there's no no supper and there's no laundry. (laughs) And you said you're going to make a Sheva Brachas for your niece tomorrow. So with the Sheva Brachas, you have to be careful. Before you commit to make a Sheva Brachas, it's beautiful that you're making a Sheva Brachas. But if you have special child, you have to know what you could and what you can't. And if you can't, you can't. Not because you're selfish, because you have to take care of a child. But despite all of this, as much as we can, we should try to plan our day in a way that the children are living in a home where there's a Geshmaka atmosphere. At last, I want to finish with one more point. And then we're going to go to uh, then we're going to go to the questions. And this point has to do with a general hashkafa issue. And the general hashkafa issue has to do with why does this happen to us? Why does this happen to people? And I want to say something. I've spoken to many many parents over the years. The worst thing you can do for yourself is to start feeling guilty. I've had mothers. And fathers, more mothers, who have told me, Rabbi Jacobson, what's the big Aveda that I did that Hashem punished me with this child? And the woman says, I look at my neighbors, I look at my classmates, I look at people I learned with, I grew up with, I graduated. I look at all my sisters. They're such holier people than I am. What did I do? And I want to share with you something. I really, really don't feel that those thoughts are ever helpful. I know you're not choosing to think those thoughts. I'm not going to be stupid and tell you, don't think it, because you are thinking it. And if you're thinking it, you're thinking it. But I want to really address it. This whole idea that you're guilty for this child is really something that has no basis. We do not, in our generation especially, we do not know why people go through what they go through. But let me tell you something. A lot of people are going through a lot of things. I know a lot of people. I get close to two, three hundred emails a day from people all over Klal Yisrael. And let me tell you, people are going through beyond what anybody imagines. At the surface, things look so good. 
Because Baruch Hashem, we have been blessed with blessings that our parents, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents couldn't dream of. I'm talking about our Chavagashmas and our Chavaruchmas. The homes we live in, and the food that we have, and the prosperity we have, and the moizdus we have, and the opportunities we have, it's incredible, Baruch Hashem, at least for a lot of people. But do you know the levels of mental illness that exists? Do you know how many people are suffering from anxiety and depression? Do you know how many people are suffering from various mental challenges? Do you know how many people are suffering in their marriages? Do you know how many people are suffering from addiction? Oy, oy, oy. Do you know? Nobody even begins to realize. The only families I know that are perfect are the families I don't know. The only marriages I know that are perfect are the marriages I don't know. The only children I know that are perfect are the children I don't know. People are dealing with a lot. Besides the obvious, people who are dealing with physical crisis and physical illness and physical challenges, chas and loss and illness, etc. But I'm talking about even those things that are less visible. And then there are the children who are struggling with their identity and with their Yiddishkeit. And all of us today, we need open hearts. We need to open our hearts to each other. Everybody needs empathy. Trust me, everybody needs empathy. You and you and you and me and him and her, everybody needs empathy. We're not bad people trying to become good people. We're broken people trying to be whole people. And I don't think you should be blaming yourself. We don't have in our hands the answer to why Rishayim prosper and Sadikim suffer. And the Balatanya writes in Tanya, There were times in history when things were very clear. You did a mitzvah and you got, you got rewarded. You did an Aveda, you got penalized. But he says, In these times of Gullus, it's not so clear. Good people suffer, and bad people prosper. And it's not like a clear cheshbon mathematically, oh, you did this, you got this, you did this, you got this. Some things we know, most things, my friends, we really don't know. We really, really don't know. I grew up in Brooklyn. There was once a couple. It was in 1987, I think. You remember the story, the Pan Am plane that that the PLO Yasser Arafat Yemach Shemoy, I think he blew it up over Scotland, you remember? I think in 1987-88. It was a great, unbelievable tragedy. Over, I think it was over Scotland. A Pan Am flight blew up, exploded, there was a bomb, and everybody was killed. And there was a couple, they lost a child, a Jewish child, they're from, Eng- they're from England. And they came to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, not, not Hasidim at all, they just came to the Rebbe to speak to him. The Rebbe would give dollars. And the Rebbe's secretary, Rabbi Grona, introduced them. And he said to them, he said to the Rebbe that they lost their son in the, in the plane crash. And there's a video of it I saw. And the mother, it's heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching. The mother lifts up like her hands, like, like she's asking the Rebbe, Favos. I don't know if she said the word Favos, but like her whole body language was... Like, why, 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 you know? What did I do? Like, why, why? The Rebbe was leaning. I remember he stood up. And you could see. He wouldn't show emotion so much, but you could see that. You could see from his own body language. And he looked at her, and he looked at her husband. I'm not saying this verbatim, because it's so many years ago, but the Teichen. He said something so interesting. He said, Nachdem was mad gezen, was is geshen in the letzte dar, mit the sechs million, 
is Nitzayich Fregen Kena Shailas. After we saw what happened with the six million Jews, we can't really ask questions. What did he mean? And then he spoke to them, he blessed them, he spoke to them. It's interesting, he spoke to them for a few minutes. You could see that they left different. There was like a certain air he gave them. He blessed them that they shouldn't have to live with the turmoil of the questions. Very, very moving. But I want to bring out one point. What he, I think part of what the Rebbe was saying is, we live in a time when really there's so much mystery we don't know. And we have to be able to embrace the fact that we don't know. We don't know why this family has this challenge. You just don't know. And instead of busy, instead of a person telling themselves, I'm guilty, instead I have to ask something else completely. And that is, maybe I have to redefine what is my shlichus in this world. And all of us have an image what life is supposed to look like, what a family is supposed to look like, what a Jewish home is supposed to look like, what nachas is supposed to look like. But sometimes you have to say, you know what? Maybe that's not my mission. Maybe my whole mission is to be able to deal with these children the way they are. And instead of living in an alternate reality, in a fantasia reality, in a fantasy reality, where I tell myself, if, 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 and then I'm always frustrated that my anticipated reality and my real reality don't match, what if I could really open myself up and say, you know what, Hineni. Hineni. This is this is where I am. This is my mission. I'm ready to embrace it. And Amen. With Menuchas Hanefesh, with Menuchas Haguf. And it changes everything because the challenge may not change, but the attitude is different. When my attitude is, I'm really supposed to be doing something else, and this is just a sin that I did, and a tikkun, and I made a mistake, when am I going to get over it? I could never really be here. And I'm always in this anguish, besides dealing with the challenge, I'm dealing with the extra challenge of feeling guilty about the challenge, and not knowing who I am and what my job is. When somebody could say, you know, I'm not here to please anybody, and I'm not here to raise a family that fits into somebody's box and somebody's picture, and I'm not here to please my uncle and my aunt and my father and my mother and my grandmother and my grandfather and my brother and my sister and this one and that one. And not even please myself the way I was five years ago. I graduated that. It's time to graduate. I'm going to ask myself, what is the shlichus that I have at this time in my life? What does God want from me? He gave me these beautiful children, this family, this marriage, this home. What is my shlichus? And I'm going to embrace it. Do I have questions? I have questions. And I'm fine with the questions. I can't wrap my brain around Hashem. I don't have to wrap my brain around. There's a lot of mystery. I could look at my life with awe, with reverence, with humility, and with compassion, and with faith. That there's a journey, there's a meaning, there's a plan, maybe beyond my comprehension. I'm going to quote Mordechai's words to Esther. You never know. Esther, you never got married. You were schlepped into a palace by a drunken guy. You know why? To save the Jewish people. And she did. We're here today because of that. What your shlichus is. What your shlichus is. What my shlichus is. Who knows? It's time not to try to fit into other people's boxes. 
to in order to define what my mission is, but to open myself up and say, this is where it is. This is where truth is. This is where Hashem is. This is where life is. This is where reality is. This is where joy is. Let me suck the marrow out of my life and live my life to the fullest. May the Rebbeinu Shalom give each and every one of you the strength, the koyach, the chizuk, and the chius to be able to embrace yourselves, embrace your spouses, embrace your children, and embrace your life with equilibrium, with serenity, with vision, with focus, that your home should be filled with sasa and v'simcha, gila, rina, ditza v'chedva, ava v'yachva, shalom v'reyos. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to the questions. There's a lot, a lot of questions, and because I want to get through them, I'm going to try to give every question a little amount of time, even though some of them are very deep questions, because I want to be able to cover most of them. Question one. If our beautiful children are holy neshamas, why do non-Jews have holy neshamas too? Great question. The answer is, there are holy neshamas by Jews, and there are holy neshamas by non-Jews too. The Rambam Paskins, Chassidei Umas Ha'olam, Yeish Lahem Chelek Haba. The pious ones from among the nations will have a part in Olam Haba. Olam Haba is a holy place. It's for holy people because they have holy neshamas. It says in Pirkeyavis, Rabbi Akiva used to say, Chaviv Adam Shenivri B'Tselem. Every human being is precious because every human being was created in the image of Hashem. Hashem's image is holy. So holiness is not something that only exists by the Jewish people. Holiness is something that exists in the world. The Jewish people have their unique brand of holiness. Question. Parents are dealing with it, but how to handle the kids at home who are constantly dealing with the parents leaving with their new special needs siblings? By leaving, we mean we stay in hospitals for a long time. It's very difficult for the other children. Oh. You know what? This is a very, very serious question. And we have to try to create systems that work. Maybe one of the parents has to always stay home to be with the kids. Maybe we have to find volunteers or relatives or people we can pay. Depends on your situation to be in the hospital. It's a very important question. It's such an important question but we don't want to make sure not to neglect the other kids and they should have all the attention they need. We don't want them to feel also guilty that they're upset at their parents for leaving. You know, they have a right to have parents. So this is something we have to address. And it's difficult. This is a, it's a difficult Nisayan. I'm saying this again. That's why I said in the beginning, don't minimize this. This is a difficult challenge and we have to do the best we can. I would say try to want parents to be at home and sometimes get somebody else to be in the hospital so that the parents could be home. Can Rabbi Jacobson discuss neshamas that are nonverbal, and what tachlis this brings to parents and family? Excellent, excellent question. And the answer is, 
We don't know. But I want to ask you another question. Do we know the tachlis of neshamas that are verbal? Do you know the tachlis of your neshama? Why you're here? Do you know the tachlis of your husband's neshama? Do I know the tachlis of my own neshama? We don't know. We say, okay, well, at least I could speak. I can do this. I can do this mitzvah. I can do that mitzvah. But ultimately, other neshamas could do the same mitzvahs. The real tachlis of a neshama, nobody knows. Some neshamas are nonverbal. We also don't know their tachlis. We don't know when a neshama is born. We don't know when and why a neshama passes away. But every neshama has a tachlis. Sometimes nonverbal neshamas don't come down, like a lot of children with special needs, they don't come down to fix themselves. They don't need fixing. They're pretty holy. But they fix us. They help us. They repair us. This is true with these neshamas also. My question is like this. How can we get more people involved in actually helping? There are a ton of chesed and stuck organizations in the community. But I want to tell you, we have in our community almost no one who can take a kid for Shabbos or Yom Tif, or just for regular respite, for regular relaxation. The money is available. People can get paid by Hamaspik. Friday to Sunday, you get over $600. Why can't we build this up in our community? I live in Crown Heights. I don't know how it's in other communities. But I wish this was something that we could build up in our community in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn. Listen, beautiful. And you know what? Maybe, I don't know if you have time and energy, but maybe, maybe you could spearhead such an initiative. Maybe bring in or call some people who care for this and start an organization. You know, friendship circles, how they have been successful all over the States and all over the world. Incredible. So I'm sure this can turn into an amazing thing. And you know what? Te- get teenagers involved and other people involved, especially if there's money. And sometimes it's good to get teenagers involved and they don't need the money. They love it. It helps them. It gives them self-esteem too. What about siblings of the special child who don't want to face the reality? So have compassion for them too. We have to have compassion for everybody. They're not ready to face it. Okay, just be there for them. Understand where they're coming from. We need compassion for everybody. When we have compassion, we can accomplish much more. What if there's nobody offering help? What if there's nobody offering help? What do we do? Um, We are alone. We have nobody offering help. Wow. Uh... That's a, that's a painful question. The question is, are there people you can ask? Is there maybe somebody who would offer, who we can even pay? That's what I would look into. Is there somebody you can ask? And is there maybe even pay available? And do it to ask them for pay. Remember, you don't have to ask in a, in a demanding way where you're going to resent it. You can ask sometimes people who want to help. Here, next question. I'm feeling down and burnt out from taking care of our adult child. I feel guilty for feeling this way. Any suggestions? 
You don't have to feel guilty. You're a human being. You don't have to feel guilty. <laughs> You're a person. It's very, very hard. You have a hard job. It's hard. You know? <laughs> Speak to any mother who runs a house with a lot of kids, and very often, at the end of the day, she is just burnt out, and she feels burnt out. You don't have to feel guilty for these things. What I would say is, can you figure out a way in which you have more time for yourself to nurture yourself? Can you pay somebody? Can you get money to pay somebody? That you should be able to have some time every day where you could nurture yourself. And then you could come home with freshness. We don't have time for all the self-care. What do you do if your child takes up more than 24 hours, seven days a week of time and of energy? Right, I understand. It's very difficult. It's very challenging. The question is, can some system be incorporated where you at least have a little time for self-care? Because you're a human being. You know, you can't burn the candle on both sides. You know, Imagine a Hatzalah guy is driving a patient to the hospital and he doesn't have gas. Somebody says, fill up gas. He says, I don't have time to fill up gas. I have to take him to the hospital. Well, if he doesn't fill up with gas, the car is going to break down. He won't be able to get him to the hospital. Parents need gas. So I think it's important to try to do something. This kid who takes up 24-7, can there be a few hours that somebody else takes care of him or her? Can a nurse come in? Can a volunteer come in? Can somebody come in for money? But you need to be able to have some some level of self-care. I think this is very important. No parent wants to give their child away. But my child cannot live with me. It's just impossible. I'm a single mom. There's safety reasons. I agree for him to stay with my family. I'm looking for a residential school. But it breaks my heart every single minute of every single day. Yes, listen, it's very painful. But if you can't do it, that's part of the hashgacha. That's part of the Hashgacha. Because you want to ask yourself, where will this child have the best likelihood to be able to grow up and live the life that they're capable of living? And if that can't happen with you, so don't feel guilty about that. You're doing the right thing. I don't mean to compare, but you know, before the Holocaust, there was something called kinder transport. They allowed children from certain countries to go to British, to go to Britain. And the parents separated themselves from their children, knowing that they may never see them again. Why did they do it? Because they wanted their kids should survive. And there are many children who survived. Their parents perished. These were not cruel parents. Chas v'shalom. One can only imagine or not imagine the brokenness in their hearts. But they had to make a decision, and the decision was, I want my child to live. If your child cannot live with you in the house... Because it's simply impossible. It's not safe for the child. It's not safe for you. You don't have the tools. You don't have the means. You don't have the ability. So we're not helping the child by putting them in a position where they're not going to be able to get the help they need. Sometimes there are people who decide they have to raise the child on their own. But they push it, don't have the tools. They don't have the capability. And what happens is they end up getting angry. They end up getting frustrated. They end up getting overwhelmed. And they let it out on the poor child. The poor child who is having so many difficulties, 
cannot be taken care of by the single parent who Pasha doesn't have the Kayach and the know-how and the tools to deal with a very, very severe handicapped child. It's not his fault. So such a child, when such a parent says, I'm going to give up this child to the Reb, a home where they're going to take care of him and give him or her the love they need, it's difficult and it's painful, but you're going to come to visit and do not blame yourself and do not kill yourself for this because you're not trying to be selfish. On the contrary, I hope I'm making this clear. This is very important. I don't know how to improve my relationship with my husband. He keeps on getting depressed about our situation and it's very overwhelming. Yeah. It is. It is overwhelming. And what I would encourage is, what I would encourage you to do is, you have to make sure that you're in a good place. Because ultimately, every person has to take responsibility for their depression. I can deal with my depression. I can't deal with your depression. So your husband has to take responsibility. What you can do is take care of yourself. You be in a happy space. And try to give your husband encouragement that if he works on it, and if he connects to the right people, and if he creates a good schedule for himself, he can get out of his depression. Today, there's a lot, a lot of tools to get out of depression. First of all, sometimes there's medication. Second of all, there's exercise. Third of all, there's somatic therapy. Fourth of all, there's other forms of therapy. Right? There's a lot, a lot of forms of trauma healing, whether conversation therapy or body therapy or energy therapy or even more extreme levels of therapy. But there's so much to do today for depression. But he has to connect to the right people. And he want, he will want to encourage him that you can get out of your mess. You can live a much, much better life. Wake up in the morning, exercise, do productive things. A Drew Davins, he feels good about himself. A Drew Learns, he feels good about himself. These are all things that will be able to help him. But he ultimately has to take responsibility and we can encourage him. I keep on wanting to bring home my baby from rehab. But every time... It's getting closer to happening. There's another setback. And my baby winds up back in the rehab center. I feel like I'm losing hope. And I'm questioning myself if bringing him home is the right thing to do. Wow. Wow, this is heavy. But listen, you're doing the best you can. And give yourself credit for that. You know, mothers and fathers, give yourself a standing ovation. Each of you is thinking only about your child. The question is ultimately what's better for this child. So yeah, you want your child home, but you want your child home in a healthy way. If it's better for the child, again, not to come home because of his health or his safety, then that's probably the right thing to do. And you want to make sure that your child is getting the care that he deserves and needs. And if you if you're if you have the child in a place where he's getting the care that he deserves and needs, then be content with that decision. Don't blame yourself, and don't, you know, stab yourself, and don't feel guilty about it. You're doing the best you can. Is bringing him home the right thing to do? If he's going to be safe and secure and healthy at home, and you'll be able to have the tools that you need, then amazing. And if not, not. So really understand that wherever your child is going to get the best care, that's the best place. The hardest thing for me is the pain that my child experiences. He has been bullied by others because of his challenges. He spent a year at home for Limude Kodesh because the teachers in his school did not want him 
in their classes. They could not deal with them. And the kids bullied him. How do I deal with this? My son's pain is my pain. Ah, Yeah, bullying is a big, big problem. It's a big challenge. It's a big challenge. So we need to put you in touch with somebody who's an expert in bullying and how to help children who have been bullied. Generally speaking, schools need to create an environment of respect. Respect for the teachers, respect for the principals, respect of the principals towards the teachers and the teachers towards the principals, which trickles down into respect of the children toward the teachers and the principals, and the other way, respect of the teachers and principals to the children, and respect of the children for each other. And that helps a lot, because it creates an environment of respect, which is missing, apparently, in this place. The bottom line is that your son was hurt. So the first thing that's important is that he should be able to get all the help that he needs in order to give him the resilience and the self-esteem that he needs, whatever that is. I would discuss it with somebody who's a real, real expert on bullying. Actually, my wife mentioned the name of a woman today to me. And if you want to email me privately, I have to get the name. I'll have to get the name. If you want to email me privately, I'll ask my wife to give it to me. Maybe you know somebody, people who are really good. How do we help children who have been bullied in school, especially children who have had some challenges? And that's why they were bullied. So let's try to get the help we need. It's very painful, but you know what? You're going to get the child the help he needs, and he's going to emerge stronger and better. And uh, this is something that all of us have to be aware of, the concept of bullying, and that this cannot be tolerated. It's not just the child who bullies. The child who bullies is also dealing with pain. It's an environment. It's an environment. We have to get to the core of it. Children who are being bullied have to be taught and embraced and understand who they are and their self-worth. And the children who are bullying have to be taught. This is work, and all of us are responsible to keep our eyes open for this constantly. Okay? Question. My husband passed away. I'm alone with a special needs son. I have very little help. I'm trying to send him to a group home. I can't really keep him at home. I can't help him. But I'm so heartbroken. Any advice? It's so difficult for me. I'm going to say again what I said before. It is very, very difficult. But the real question you have to ask is, are you doing this because you're selfish? Chas v'shalom. You're doing this because you want the best for your child. You want the best for your child. You're trying to save your child. You're trying to give your child a decent future. And you'll go visit them. If you would know that you could be there for your child and give them what they need, I am certain you would keep them home. You're not keeping them home because you simply cannot deal with it. Respect that. Respect that. Chas v'shalom, if somebody has a child who's ill and they need to go to the hospital, and the mother says, I can't send my child to the hospital, I have to keep him home. You're going to say, well, you're crazy? You're going to keep him home? That's not good for the child. You want the child to get the best treatment. So sometimes it's a hospital and sometimes it's a residential home. We have to respect that. And you'll go visit him 
and you'll spend time with him. And you know what? Maybe if you visit him every day for an hour or two hours or three hours and you bring him the chocolate that he loves or the sushi that he loves or the cheesecake that he loves or you play the music that he loves, that will be an amazing, amazing service. Question. Should I have more children after having a child with disability? I had seven children very close together. I wanted to have many more. I wanted to have as many as Hashem would bless me. My youngest was born with a complex disability. My husband and I feel nervous about how we would cope with more children. Do we need to have more betachen? That Hashem will give us the strength to deal with more children after our seven? Or are we being realistic knowing our limits and our energy levels? Despite extensive testing, we also don't know what our child's diagnosis is. Doctors say he has something very, very rare. We don't know if it's hereditary. What should we tell our children when they ask why we had so many kids in such a short time and now we stopped? They think we can't have any more children. And they keep on davening to Hashem for more children. And the truth is that we could have more children, but we decided not to. For the moment, what is your opinion? Wow. Okay, this is a very, very heavy question you're asking. Really heavy question. So, the first thing is as follows. I'm not sure it's called lack of betachen, that you feel you can't have more children. You know, ultimately, the same Rebbeinu Shalaylam who told us to have children, also told us to create the kalim, the vessels, to be able to nurture and take care of these children. He says, He wants us to work. He wants us to go to doctors. Why? The answer is because Hashem wants us to create the vessels to be able to take care of our, our kids to the best of our ability. So this is something you and your husband make a decision. And if, you're, if you feel that, you know, you really, you really have your hands full and, and your head full and your heart full, and this is something that is, uh, you know, really, really difficult, and to have another child will really take it over the top, I think you may have to respect that decision. I would suggest that you discuss it with a Rav, with a Paisik, who you both trust, somebody who's sensitive, somebody who knows you, somebody who's a confidant, somebody who's empathetic, and somebody who knows about raising children with disabilities, and consult Halacha But generally speaking, I do not think you should think that this is the opposite of betochen. It's basically you want to do the best you can and you want to make sure that you have the kayach and the mayach to be able to take care of your children. And uh, in terms of your other children, obviously age-appropriate, there's different conversations with different age children. You know, you have a three-year-old and you have a 15-year-old. But you could be honest with them and say, you know, Tati and Mami, Baruch Hashem, we were blessed with uh, with seven amazing, amazing, incredible children. Each one is priceless. Each one is a diamond. And, uh, and we're going to be so happy with what we have, you know. We're going to be happy with what we have. And obviously, age appropriate, if at the right time you want to share with some of them about your decision, that's up to you. But generally speaking, you have to just be sensitive to the age, you know. And, uh, you know, you don't want to lie to them. 
the question is, do you sell every child, everything? I mean, you never want to lie to a child and say, just daven that we should have a baby, you know, when you know about your decision. But it's important just to be sensitive to the age of what they're capable of hearing. And, you know, one age you may say that, uh, you know, Tati and Mommy have these children and it doesn't look like we're going to have more. So they understand that, you know, what that means. Is it Hashem's decision? Is it your decision? Is it both decisions? They'll find out when they get older, and you may want to explain it to them when you get older. I wouldn't worry about that so much. Especially you have questions about the hereditary element and the diagnosis. So I don't see this as a lack of betachen. But as I said, I would suggest that you you do consult somebody you trust who's a rav and a paisik. We feel like we are just getting through the day. Getting through the day is not a way to live. What are we supposed to do? Yeah, wow. A lot of these types of questions, you know. I, what should I say to you, my dear friend? Somebody is asking, how do I unmute myself? After you raise your hand and you get a message, you should press star six, and this will unmute you. <laughs> Let's see if at the end of this class we'll even have one person who managed to unmute themselves. Okay, LS, welcome to the program. You raised your hand. Let's see if we can hear you. Yes, the popped up. Can you hear me? Oh, Mazel Tov, we can hear you. Go ahead. Yeah, this time the box popped up to ask me, but I'm sorry, I'm going back to much earlier when I was talking about, when you were talking about, um, like having people to help everyone's willing to help but when it comes down to it it like hamaspic is there to help us get respite and hamaspic helps us get the money for the respite but it is almost impossible to find somebody to actually do the respite even when we tell them that they'll get paid for it how do we get it, it doesn't need a new organization. It needs, you know, people have to realize how badly we need this break and be willing to get the, get get their hands dirty. You know, so, somebody I asked um, to, to find some, uh, some place for my son for a Shabbos, um, they said, what do you want me to do? I said, find some place for him. So they said, okay, you know what? Instead of offers, offer more money but that doesn't help me i need you to help me find someone who's going to do it right and there's nobody that they could find no this is it's not just my problem i'll i'll give you another muscle i needed i needed somebody to learn with my kid for his mitzvah um and i couldn't find anybody and I finally called my brother-in-law, who's a shliach, and I said, what, what should I do? He said, just ask any Bachar in Crown Heights. I said, I tried. It took him three days, and he's, he's a strong shliach and a popular shliach. It still took him three days before he, could, before he told me he, still, he can't find anybody. I have to create an organization for this. But Hamaspic is the organization for this. It's that we have to get our people willing to be involved in it. 
And Friendship Circle is amazing, but they don't take you for a whole Shabbos. Right. I'm wondering if the people who come with Friendship Circle and they're doing this work, if they could be offered money to just do a whole Shabbos. Because those are the people who are willing to do it. So those are teenagers, the friends at home that come to you. And their parents have to be willing to do it, not them. A lot of the Bachram, the Bachram who visit my son are from out of town. They're not even living with their family. Right. But again, this is not just my problem. This no. is when I spoke when I speak to Hamasbek, I spoke to all. I spoke to all the different organizations. Yeah, somebody just wrote, somebody just wrote, finding help for even pay is almost impossible. Yeah. They all somebody say, else wrote, there's nobody to help. Person. We need a special organization to find people and train people and motivate people. And none of us have the energy to do that. Because we're all dealing with our children. Right. So we have on the Hamhala of Hamaspik, and I think this is something perhaps that a few minds could come together and brainstorm how to at least ease up the situation for so many mothers and fathers. I'm sure with some good brains and money, we could find at least some solutions. You know, create more awareness, create more training, motivate parents, motivate teenagers. It also is very good training for the people who help these kids, you know. They they learn a lot about life. It refines them, right? Yeah. Very good for them. Thank you so much for bringing this up. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. This is very important stuff. And I hope there's a lot of people, there's hundreds of people on now. So I think, you know, we should put our heads together and uh, at least, you know, move the needle a little bit. And I'm going to ask all my friends in leadership positions who are on to be able to take this to take this seriously and think of practical ideas how parents could be helped in this area. Because even if there's money, there's still a problem. It's not even money. A person can have money or get money and they still don't have the help. I know I have Rabbanim. And maybe it doesn't have to start with a whole Shabbos, you know, even if it starts with some time. At least some time is better than nothing. Yeah. Okay, thank you so, so much. Okay, so somebody asked before about... Uh, I'm, I'm continuing now the Q&A in the Zoom. I can't get through my day. I barely get through my day. What am I supposed to do? It's very hard, but I'll say again, this is something that you know every person needs to try to figure out what can you do at least something that will give your day some spice, some flavor, some meaning, some inspiration. Maybe you need to run for a half an hour. Maybe you need to learn an Ahmed Gemara for half an hour. Maybe you need to meditate. Maybe you need to walk in the forest. Maybe you need a journal. Maybe you need a dance. Maybe you need a massage three times a week. Try to do something in your life that can help you not only get through your day, but really add some spice to your day. Question. I have different therapies I would like to try. I think they could make a difference to my son's quality of life and his cognitive ability. It's so expensive. 
I'm having a hard time finding the money. What do you suggest I do? Great question. Great question. So I think it's important to get the help of an advocate and to work with the various organizations that are available or insurance companies that are available. I don't think this can all fall on your shoulders. Try to find a friend or somebody who can be an advocate with you to be able to get some more funds. How do you juggle multiple children with different needs and not have enough of yourself to go around? The billion-dollar question, we all have it. And I think the answer is you have to create certain boundaries that are necessary. Maybe you have to wake up a half an hour before the kids and take time to do something yourself or something else that works, but try to figure out a plan. Maybe consult somebody you trust who knows about your lifestyle and schedule. What do you do when you don't live in a community with any programs for special needs children? Do I have to move the whole family to a community that does offer programs? I think the answer is really you have to see what will be the best for your family. Is it okay to split up the family for activities, for Shabbatons, so our other kids don't miss out, even though it's not appropriate for our child with special needs? Yeah, I think you have to take care of all the children as much as you take care of the child with special needs. It's not fair that they should lose out of it. And maybe you could do things to compensate for that split. Question. How can I make my child happy if he hates playing? He doesn't always have a worker available. I get stressed out when he doesn't keep himself busy. It's a great question. And I think the answer is we have to come up with a plan of things maybe that can keep him busy. Maybe you could buy other stuff in the house for him that he can do. But try to figure out a plan when the worker is not there, how he could, at least on some level, find himself something to do. I have a question. When we're busy caring for a child with intense medical needs, goes in and out of the hospital, there's no support, we barely make ends meet, we already have staggering bills, Hiring help is not feasible. Home care nursing care is pretty much non-existent. Nurses in the house can cause your mental health to deteriorate even more. What in the world am I supposed to do? Let's pray. Let's pray together. I'm going to take a break. I want to say a capital to Hillam for this person and for your children and for all of the parents who are here with us and for all of your children to be able to have the Kayach and Hashem should be able to help you address these questions. Okay, you could daven with me. I'm davening especially for this person. You wrote anonymously, so I don't know who you are, but I'm davening for you and for your child and children and everybody else who's here on the Zoom for all your questions, that Hashem should give you the energy to be able to at least answer it somewhat. Kuf Chafalov, Shir Lamalois,
It's hard to find places that take proper care of special need adults, especially the adult is aware of the surroundings. What can you tell a child who refuses to go to a home because he's disabled? It's heartbreaking. They don't feel that they're getting good care. They don't take proper care of these people. The adult is aware of what's happening. He's disabled. What am I supposed to do? Wow, wow, wow. The questions here are not easy, my friends. I don't know, but maybe a few things could be done. Number one, can you have a meeting with the staff over there to take better care of him? Is there even one person there who's sensitive? who can really maybe implement some changes, number one. Number two, I don't know if you have the money, you can get the money to hire somebody who can come in and take care of him over there. And number three, can he maybe go, you know, in a time and in a limit to a limited time that it won't be so hard for him. In other words, he understands what's happening, maybe he has to go for less time, Maybe he goes at a time when it's easier over there. Maybe he has somebody who sits with him or learns with him or plays chess with him or watches a documentary with him. So to try to figure out in a way that it should be a little easier for him. Are mitzvahs and kashras important when it comes to a low-functioning, non-verbal, special-needs child? Obviously, such a child is putter from all the mitzvahs, so you don't have to worry about it. In terms of the details, with kashras... So this is something that rabbis deal with constantly. So discuss it with a competent rabbi who's sensitive and compassionate and empathetic and knows about special children who are nonverbal. A rabbi who's an expert in this area and he'll guide you about kashras. But generally speaking, these children are potter from mitzvahs. My child is older. I've given all I can to my child. I don't feel guilty. I want him in a safe, loving, residential placement home. There's no good options. The places are not equipped. My son will suffer continuously. What am I supposed to do? (sighs) Wow. I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do. You ask what Hashem wants from you. I don't know. I wish I had the answers to all these questions, but I don't. Maybe somebody else has answers. I don't know the answer. The only thing I would say is, you know, what if, I don't know if there's any money that can be obtained, but what if for money, you know, there could be some people brought in there where he will be dealt with in a dignified way. Maybe there could be visitors. In other words, maybe there could be a combination of a situation where at least he can be in the residential place sometime and he won't suffer. I don't know, I'm just trying to think, is there some option where things could be made at least a little better, even if it's not perfect, but at least a little better? Somebody writes, check out www.hamaspickkings.org because there are services to ease at least some of the burden. Somebody says to the mother or the father, visit the residential center. The ones I have been 
at, take excellent care of the individuals there. So residential centers are much better. That's what one of the people is answering. One of the one of the parents is answering. I have a hard time letting my husband go away alone for a few days or weeks because when home, he helps me with my child. It's much easier. But he really wants to go. It's hard because of this child. How do we make everybody happy? I need my husband at night and in the morning to help with my child, but he really wants to go. Yes, listen, I think it's very important that you have an extra set of hands and that you're there for each other. So I think we have to work it out in a mature way, reach an agreement that works for both of you. You know, maybe some days you can get help from somebody else. Maybe the things he wants to do, he could do at other times of the day. I don't know. I think this is a conversation you have to have and work it out so that both of you should be happy. My suggestion is every community should have a respite home open once a month to bring the children for Shabbos. Once a month, the children should be there a whole Shabbos. People from HCS, Hamas, Bikraim, cannot find workers because they want more money. That's only the only reason. They don't get enough money. I would recommend a school chesed program to help out. My special needs son bothers his younger brother sometimes. He doesn't understand what he's doing. I try to keep things positive. But how can I make sure to avoid the siblings feeling resentment? I think even if he doesn't understand, they have to be able to understand. But it's important that they feel that you protect them, that you're not taking sides at all. We know that Hashem gives people challenges and He gives them the tools. But special children is a challenge that we don't have the tools. Why does God do that? It's a great question. I think there's a lot of challenges that we don't feel people have the tools. And I don't know the answer for that. I don't know the answer why people suffer in ways they do. But I think instead of asking why, we're much better off when we ask, how do I turn it into a mission statement? I have a lot of specialists for my daughter. She has a complex medical condition. How do I know if I'm doing too much ishtadlis when it comes to going to second opinions? It's always good to get other opinions because doctors are doctors, they're human, and it's good to have other opinions. I don't think that's too much ishtadlis. Obviously, you do it in a way that works for you. You know, you can't drive yourself crazy to the point that you can't function. My husband gets upset when I carry on Shabbos. There's no aid of to get my kids to shul on Shabbos. Is there a heter for us to carry? They enjoy going to shul. It's hard to keep them home on Shabbos. So you want to speak to a rabbi who's competent, and he's also empathetic and sensitive, and he knows about special children, and the need to take them to shul for Shabbos. Maybe there's different ways. Perhaps a non-Jew can, can push a carriage, or other things that can be done. Discuss it with a rabbi who's empathetic and understands special needs children. Hamaspik is making a Shabbaton for the parents. Where can I leave my special needs child? I don't know where I could leave my special needs child. That's the problem. I also need help with this area. I beg all of you. We need to find solutions to be able to get more help for these types of families. Yes. Amen. 
I'm going to wish you all a beautiful night, sending all my love and blessings to each and every one of you. And may the Rebbeinu Shalom give you kayach, mayach, chizuk, to be able to be here for yourself and for your children in the best way possible. Shav nachas from all your kinderlach in good health, happiness, abundance, and prosperity. And to be able to have all the strength that you need to navigate this tumultuous journey with dignity and with empowerment. And to be able to enjoy your life and suck the marrow out of your life despite its challenges. And we should be zoicha to the great moment when all the darkness will be transformed into light, with the Geula HaShlema Bekarev Amenu. Amen Amen. Thank you very, very much. It was an honor and privilege spending this evening with you. And you're amazing people, and thank you for being here with us. Thank you, thank you. Good night. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.